When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. I'm Rick Davis, along with Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Sean Zeno, and we're joined today by Lester Munson, a principal at BGR Group, uh, but also someone who's had a lifetime experience in uh, foreign policy, national security affairs. We've been listening to President Joe Biden's uh, first summit press conference with Prime Minister Yoshi Suga from Japan. Uh, this is uh, the first bilateral meeting of a president and a prime minister in this White House in the first hundred days of Joe Biden's uh, office. He's made this uh, a uh, number one priority, and, and we can tell why. Uh, the statements by both uh, heads of state indicated uh, a, a lengthy conversation about China uh, and the security and human rights uh, aspects to that. And so maybe I'd like to pick up where we left off, Lester, right before the uh, press conference took place to pick up on this China issue. It seemed to me uh, that uh, that Prime Minister Suga, Suga uh, actually uh, went a little bit further than uh, President Biden in talking about the fact that the United States was reaffirming its defense of D- uh, Japan and talked literally about the intimidation of China in the uh, in the South China Sea. Um, it, are you not surprised by this, or uh, do you think that this was really pretty uh, consistent with policy? Yeah, I, I think he definitely gave some more granularity than President Biden did on his concerns. Of course, Japan is much closer to China than we are. Uh, so he he went deeper on uh, South China Sea, East China Sea, uh, North Korea, uh, on some of the other issues uh, with islands in the region. There's a lot of disputes between uh, Japan and China. And he, uh, the prime minister, Prime Minister Suga, rightly reasserted the areas where the U.S. and Japan agree. Uh, and that sends an important message to Beijing. It sends an important message to the rest of the region that this partnership between the U.S. and Japan, the first, the largest economy in the world and the third largest economy in the world, are, is, remains resolute in the face of the challenge from China. So I think he, he, he had to go. It's like watching uh, figure skating in the Olympics. You know, they mentioned the Olympics uh, coming up in the next few months. In the Olympics, in figure skating, before you get to the fancy stuff, you have to do the um, those kind of mandatory uh, figure eights and things like that. That's what they, those guys were doing today. They were going over the issues where the U.S. and Japan agree, touching on all those important things, kind of these, these mandatory issues that we, we have to revisit every so often to remind everyone else of the things that we agree on. 
you know, Lester, you mentioned uh, the Olympics. You know, we've had such a run on Olympic dialogue on this show for the last month. Uh, a number of members of Congress have been talking to us about the Chinese Olympics and why should we be going to the Chinese Olympics and participating in that, especially uh, because of one of the other topics that they raise, and that is the uh, Xinjiang uh, Uyghur issue. Uh, and 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 I want to turn to Jeannie because you know we've been involved in these conversations with elected officials who are really outraged about the notion that we're going to go to China with the Olympics, but we haven't really heard that much. And when the press conference took place, uh, uh, the president and and the prime minister reacted to uh, COVID concerns that people have raised about the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, what's your What's your read on that? I, I I was interested. I think it was the question from the uh, the reporter from Reuters, if I'm not mistaken, who asked the question to President. Biden about Iran and then followed up by asking the prime minister if he thinks, and I think the word he used, it was irresponsible to move forward with the Olympics due to the COVID situation in his country. Now, unfortunately, I did not hear, and I don't know if you or Lester did, I did not hear the prime minister respond to that question. But the fact is, and he might have, I just may have missed it, but the fact is that they are, they have a if I have these numbers right, only about 1% of the population vaccinated at this point, they are going through another resurgence of COVID in Japan. So it is a critically important question. And what we understand from the Olympics in Japan at this point, no spectators, it's going to be small, it's going to be truncated, it's going to be televised. But again, that's if it goes forward. Jeannie, I think it's a really good point. I mean, 1% of the population, and uh, and yet they're moving ahead with a massive uh, event. And and as you point out, I mean, it's likely to be only uh, athletes and uh, local residents in Japan. But with only 1% inoculated, uh, you'd have to see these things as uh, potential spreader events. Uh, we'll be taking up more of this conversation uh, related to uh, the press conference between uh, President Joe Biden and Japanese Prime Minister Yoshi Suga, uh, a first one of its kind in this administration. And I'd say uh, a, a distinct difference between the America first policies that Donald Trump uh, had put forth uh, and versus the very much uh, engaging and multilateral uh, relationship building that we saw today um, as a part of this press conference and we'll bring this back up uh, after the break, uh, and we'll be joined uh, after that by um, Lester Munson from BGR Group and our own Jeannie Shanzano. Uh, this is Rick Davis, and this is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Rick Davis, along with Bloomberg politics contributor Jeannie Sean Zeno, and we have with us Lester Munson, a principal at BGR Group. Lester's joined us at the top of the hour, and we've been talking about an important event today at the White House where 
President Joe Biden uh, held a press conference and a full day of summiteering uh, with Prime Minister Yoshi Suga uh, from Japan. Uh, uh, much of that conversation centered on China uh, when we were talking about uh, this early in the program. But I wonder, Lester, if we could transition a little bit, because one of the other topics that was t- discussed uh, was really on developing a much more robust capability to support uh, Japan and U.S. supply chain. And we've talked a lot about this program related to supply chain issues, especially uh, related to the infrastructure bill that's coming up on the Capitol Hill. And I was wondering if you could react to that. Um, uh, Japan obviously has an enormous technology infrastructure. They've talked about reaching agreements on research and, and AI and quantum computing and 5G. Uh, it, does this bud for a big technology revolution between uh, Japan and the U.S.? Well, I think it's a great question. Uh, you know, we're, we're looking at a sea change in the way the U.S. does business, I think. Uh, we've been we'd embraced China for for the last several decades. We wanted to trade with China. We kind of built part of our economy on cheap manufacturing coming out of China. That's all changing now. We're looking to pull apart our supply chains um, in critical areas, medical uh, equipment, high technology, so that we're not relying on China and its authoritarian government. Japan is going to be a big part of that solution. The Biden administration has uh, has directed its departments and agencies to look in the sectors of the economy they deal with for opportunities to change things. Uh, Congress is marking up legislation as early as next week that's going to really challenge uh, the way we've done business in the past. So I think there's, there's going to be huge changes. Uh, whether all of them will work or not, I don't know. But it does seem like the Biden administration is making a huge effort here to reorient our our economy in these critical areas in, in a new direction. A lot of it's going to be based on climate change and some uh, more green technology approaches. That's clear. Uh, but what it really is, is a, is a more of a managed economy than we've had in the past. We're kind of turning away from free markets and just trading with anyone to more of a deliberate approach. Not sure that's our strength, uh, but we're going to find out. You know, today, uh, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about infrastructure spending uh, in the talks up on Capitol Hill. And uh, we have sound on that. What we're waiting for is a counterproposal from uh, Republicans in Congress, and they've indicated that they're working through that. You know, Jeannie, um, uh, infrastructure has been a a dominant theme in our our conversation since Joe Biden has uh, been elected. And we know that the Republicans are unhappy with his proposal, especially the corporate tax uh, levels uh, that are existing today in his current proposal. Uh, but today, I mean, the themes around this press conference and the summit seem to really reflect the importance of building out, especially our technical uh, technology uh, infrastructure. Do you think this will add any mo- uh, momentum to the effort by the administration to push their infrastructure bill? I don't know if this particular summit will. I, I have to tell you, Rick, I was struck and I wrote it down and highlighted it with my orange highlighter right here when I was keeping notes. Biden said democracies can still compete and win 
and they can still deliver for our people. That's what he said he wanted this summit to showcase for the world. And this has been a common theme with him in those first 85 days, that democracies over autocracies can compete, win, and deliver. So as I'm listening to you and Lester talk about this infrastructure bill, which, as you mentioned, is a key part of what we need to do to secure our own supply chain, deliver on AI, quantum computing, 5G, and everything else. And then I look over at Capitol Hill and you see that the moderates in the Senate met this week, couldn't decide if they were going to work together to come up with a bill. You've got the press secretary saying they're waiting for a proposal by the Republicans. You've got Chris Coons floating ideas about, you know, maybe breaking this thing in two. And you've got Republicans shrinking from that because they don't want to agree on a first bill and Dems pass a second on reconciliation. And then you've got Dems saying, I'm not agreeing to the first because we'll never get to the second then. So... I keep coming back to the president's promise that democracies can deliver, and I sure hope they can. But as you look at Capitol Hill on this infrastructure bill, I cannot imagine it's going to be at $2.2 trillion. And at this point, I can see the only way forward is reconciliation. And I don't know how much happens if the Dems are able to do that after that for this administration. Lester, there's another uh, topic that was raised today during the press conference uh, by a Reuters reporter about Iran. And we know Iran is another area where Republicans and Democrats on Capitol Hill have split. Uh, the Trump administration uh, uh, did not want to uh, abide by the, the treaty that was established in the Obama administration on Iran. Um, where do you think we go from here? Iran is now enriching to a higher level. Do you think the Europeans will come in to help us You know, try to try to get some kind of a deal out of Iran? Rick, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, make a faux pas here and correct you a little bit. It was it's not a treaty. It was not a treaty. The JCPOA, the Iran nuclear deal, was it was an agreement between the Obama administration uh, and and uh, six L- other. Lester, that's why we have experts like you on the phone. Yeah, <laughs> thank was, you very much. Sorry, and I and I apologize for doing that. It nope. Was, it was never submitted to the Senate as a treaty, in part because President Obama knew it would never be ratified, it would never be approved, and then ratified by the U.S. Senate. What one of the things that President Biden can do, if he's a little imaginative and if he takes a tough line here, is get a much better deal than President Obama got, get longer deadlines, give up uh, fewer concessions to the Iranians, bring the Europeans along with him to put pressure on Iran, and get a deal that could be submitted to the Senate and be approved as a treaty, which would have the force of law in the United States. The, the Obama administration's deal, I, I would argue, was pretty weak. Obama has a chance here to make a strong deal uh, if he's willing to be tough and willing to kind of ride this thing out a little bit longer maybe than he wants. He's will, if he's willing to do that and push for that, he'll find some Republicans who will support him, and he could actually make this thing a treaty. You know, that's interesting, Lester. I think that, uh, you know, that kind of optimism around an issue that uh, I think has kept everybody on their toes on Capitol Hill and in the previous administrations, because, you know, when you're talking about Iran and destabilizing, you know, the Middle East, and if not the entire region or the world, uh, stakes couldn't be any higher. But I I was wondering if we could flex over into another part of the world, North Korea. Uh, It was brought up by both uh, Prime Minister and the President, uh, the, the didn't seem to articulate any particular strategy around North Korea, only that they've discussed it and 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 they're working on it. Uh, do you think there will yeah. be an approach that the Biden administration articulates soon? You know, I think there was the hint of a strategy there. Uh, Prime Minister Suga mentioned the, the Japanese detainees in North Korea as something he wants to focus on. 
that's it. That's the kind of small. It's not small for the people who are the Jap, the poor Japanese folks who are being detained in North Korea. It's not small for them. It's kind of small in the big picture of nuclear weapons and that kind of thing. But that the focus on that kind of small, uh, relatively small confidence building measure indicates a very different approach. Rather than kind of going all in for a big splashy summit with Kim Jong Un in in some place where you know it's really not going to lead to much. Let's take some small steps. Let's build some confidence with the North Koreans, and let's show that we can get agreement on some smaller things, and then maybe use that as a build-up to these bigger questions. Frankly, I remain very skeptical whether it's possible to do a deal with Pyongyang at all. But I think the Biden administration approach, and I say this as a Republican, might be a better one than President Trump took. Jeannie, the first question uh, to the president uh, after uh, uh, his uh, prepared remarks uh, at the press conference today at the White House was from AP, and they asked him about uh, why he isn't doing more on gun control and police reform, as promised during the campaign, uh, and is on the front page of every newspaper today, uh, and, uh, and instead spending all this time on infrastructure. And the president reacted almost angrily. What Do you think that the administration should be doing more in prioritizing this? Uh, obviously a tough issue to discuss the day you're standing there in front of Prime Minister uh, Suga. It is. And, and I think Biden said he's he's never not prioritized gun control, except that gun control supporters would take real and have taken real exception to that. And, you know, I'm looking at a map right now of recent mass shootings in the United States, the latest uh, just obviously overnight in Indianapolis. I mean, it is a deadly, deadly embarrassment for this country. The president is right about that. But once again, what is he doing? Congress has got to act. We just heard Lester saying that they might be able to act on Iran Treaty. This all gets stepped down to this question he raised at the beginning. Can the U.S. Congress deliver on any of these issues? And that remains the real sticking point here. But I agree with you, Rick. He was absolutely seemed angry and emotional and with good reason. I mean, this is truly a national embarrassment if we can't pass common sense gun control. And I am not as optimistic, I think, as Lester or, or some people that they can at this point. And it's got to be executive order. You know, uh, it's a great point, and I, I want to thank both uh, you, Jeannie, uh, for uh, the work that we've done together this week, and Lester Munson from the BGR Group. You know, it was a historic day today in the White House for the first in-person uh, press conference and uh, summit between President uh, Joe Biden and uh, Prime Minister from Japan, Yoshi Suga. Uh, I think that uh, it was especially helpful that they did that during our show so that we could bring our listeners directly uh, the, uh, the sound on from uh, the president's uh, press conference. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening in this week. I'm Rick Davis. Have a great weekend. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.